New Thinking Allowed, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, I'm going to talk a bit about my grandfather, Abraham Rogo, my mother's father, because I think of my four grandparents, he probably had the strongest influence upon me. In fact, certainly had the strongest influence upon me. And in many ways, I'm like him. He was a dreamer. He was a pioneer. He was an adventurer. I'm showing you now a picture of uh, my grandfather and um, grandmother and the aunts and uncles, his children and my cousins. There I am. The two twins are my cousins, Mark and Steve Roberts, and I'm sitting next to my grandmother in my mother's lap. It's 1947. I'm about one year old. My grandfather was born in the town of Bialystok. Today it's in Poland, but when he grew up, it was really a Russian city. And he, he grew up speaking a number of different languages at, at that time. Uh, he knew German. He knew Polish. He knew Russian. I think they were all essential and Yiddish because the Jewish people, um, spoke Yiddish. Bialystok at the time was largely a Jewish town. I think, uh, if I recall the statistics correctly, it uh, had, well, at, at the time of the Second World War, I think a population of 90,000 people, 70,000 of whom were Jews, most of whom were killed in the Holocaust. But fortunately for my grandfather, he got out of there long before. And in fact, as I understand it, there was a, a pogrom, which is um, an event where the, the natives, in this case, the local people of Bialystok, attacked and killed uh, about 80 Jews. And that happened uh, shortly before he left for Palestine at the age of 16 to become a pioneer. Now, one of the reasons to change gears a little bit here. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about my grandfather has to do with the video that is uh, to be released the day before this monologue will be released. And uh, that's the discussion with my friend Jason Reza Giorgiani on the end of humanity, the end of history, the end of reality. Jason is forecasting, in effect, and many people along with him are forecasting a singularity, a unique event in human history after which everything will be different, dramatically different. Well, I think there's something to it. We don't know exactly when it will happen, exactly how it will happen. In fact, that's the whole point of the singularity is that once you're on the other side of it, everything is so different, it's not even recognizable. But as I look at my grandfather's life, he grew up in an era where everybody was driving horses and buggies if they had transportation in that part of the world. The, the horse and buggy was the common mode of transportation. And he lived to see a man walk on the moon in 1968. I remember 
visiting his home in Bayonne, New Jersey and talking to him about that. So, my grandfather has seen enormous changes in his own lifetime and things have only been accelerating since then. Now, I can't say that I agree or disagree with Jason's vision of, of the future other than, yes, there are going to be radical changes, but how to best adjust to those changes, uh, that's an issue for deep thought. And I think Jason raises very provocative questions. And, uh, although it's tempting sometimes to think, no, things, no matter how much they change, they'll always be the same. Humans will always be humans. May not be the case. <laughs> Jason is suggesting the end of humanity is, as we know it, could be within the next 30 years. Well, back to the story of my grandfather. As I say, he grew up in Bialystok. His family yeah, were merchants. It was a textile uh, city. So, uh, his family engaged in the textile trade. And I, I'm under the impression they were pretty prosperous. They sent their daughters, my grandfather's older sisters, to Switzerland to be educated, which was unusual, both in terms of, you know, going so far away for the education, but the very idea of educating the daughters at all in a Jewish family in that period was quite unusual. And my first cousin, Steve Roberts, his father changed the family name from Rogo to Roberts. Uh, I suppose you could say as an adroit uh, move uh, politically and for business sense. My cousin Steve has written a couple of books about the family and uh, writes extensively about my grandfather, who is a, a real character. I didn't know my grandfather as well as my cousin Steve because Steve grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey with him. I grew up in Wisconsin. So, I saw him only occasionally, uh, but every time it was quite special. And I have to say that uh, he was a wonderful grandfather. He wrote to my cousin Steve, uh, and Steve quotes him in the book at a time when he left Russia to go to Palestine and became a pioneer. I have a photo of him. I'm going to show it right now. Here he is working, building what was to be the second road ever built in Tel Aviv, Israel. He's about 16 years old at the time, working on <laughs> a very primitive highway crew. And he wrote that his first job in Israel was to um, guard a vineyard at night and how he loved to look out at the sky at night. He said, yes, we had beautiful stars in Bialystok, but in the desert in Palestine in those years, we're talking 1907, I believe, the sky was brilliant and he just loved to be out there at night looking. Every night was different and he felt he was communing with the stars. And I love to do that today here in New Mexico, where I live up 6,000 feet near the Sandia Mountain, where I can look at the sky at night from my deck. It, I feel the same feeling my grandfather must have felt. And interestingly, he 
helped me encourage my interest in astronomy. When I was 12 years old, he bought me a telescope. In fact, I got a second telescope from him when I visited him at the age of 18. And he used to get me all of these crazy things. He bought me a Geiger counter at one time. He, he went to a carnival and, and he found these machines that spin around and you squirt paint on them and create beautiful images. And he bought me one of these paint spinning machines and he bought me a movie camera at, at one time, an old eight millimeter movie camera. He was, he bought me my first car, as a matter of fact, a pink and white Chrysler New Yorker. So, uh, he was always kind of, uh, probing. He was ahead of the game in, in his own way. He read the New York Times religiously and, uh, made a point of, uh, discussing the news with family members. I understand in my mother's household growing up, they were arguing politics over the dinner table every night. He was an entrepreneur. He became a, um, carpenter. He built houses. Here's a picture of the house he built and that he lived in at 31 Lincoln Parkway in Bayonne, New Jersey, right adjacent to, uh, what's it called? Newark Bay. Looking out across the bay to Newark, New Jersey. He had a trailer park. That was his big success in business, running a trailer park. But before that, he had many other adventures. They didn't always turn out so well. He had an amusement park at one time. He uh, had a boxing ring. He had gambling. I think he was involved a little bit in the uh, illegal gambling business. He was also... um a thoughtful man. He published a pamphlet on world federalism. And uh, even though he himself was, as he put it, a humble carpenter, he liked to think in global terms. Now, he was also something of a mystic in his own way. I remember when I visited him in 1968, I was uh, in my early uh, 20s, I think. I was about 22 at the time and drove out to New Jersey <laughs> to see my grandfather, well, and visit New York. Bayonne is right across the Hudson River from Manhattan. So, you're practically <laughs> as close to Manhattan as people might be living in Brooklyn. And I was reading at the time a um, book by P.D. Uspensky in search of the miraculous. And I mentioned it to my grandfather. This is what I'm reading. And he said, oh, yes, Uspensky. He knew of Uspensky. I think he had probably been reading Uspensky as a young man himself in Russian. But one of my last meetings with my grandfather, he he became a little bit senile towards the end of his life. He lived to be 85. And uh, one of the last times I visited him, he said to me, Jeffrey, he said, I've invented a new word. 
He loved to invent things. He, he was an inventor. I said, oh, what, what is it? He says, it's, it's not billions. It's not millions. It's not trillions. He says, it's illions, illions. I said, oh, okay, illions. That's, that's a, a very big number if it's illions. He said, yes. He said, when I die, he said, I'll be illions of miles away from you. He said, but you can always reach me. I said, oh, how can I do that? And he grabbed my hand like this, and he scratched it right there in the middle of the palm like that. He said, whenever you want to connect with me, you just scratch your palm just like this, and I'll be there. And that has always stuck with me. I felt really connected to my grandpa ever ever since then. And I feel that. Sometimes when I'm out at night looking up at the stars in the sky, I scratch my palm and think, Grandpa, you're still here. Well, let me leave you with this question. Who amongst your ancestors has been a strong influence in your life? How did they influence you? Can you sense in your own personality and your own makeup, your drives, your desires, your longings, the influence of uh, the people, the older members of your family, your ancestors? I'll leave you with that thought. And let me leave you with another thought. How do you think the world will yet change in your lifetime? What changes do you expect to see? in your lifetime. So, I'll leave you with those thoughts, and thank you for being with me.